John chapter 15 in your Bibles this afternoon. John chapter 15. It's Memorial Day weekend. As we know and we think of and remember the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice that men and women have paid for our freedom, for our liberties. Um, But even before that ultimate sacrifice, uh, dying in battle, or uh, in in many cases, many times, um, at least throughout the the history of the United States, uh, there are a great many casualties that take place in training operations for our military. Um, Throughout our country's history, hundreds of thousands of men and women have died never having seen battle, but have died in training missions, just preparing to go out and fight the battle. And we think about these men and women who have died for our country and for the freedoms that we have, and without that training, without the basic training and the extensive training, how would they have performed their duties? They maintained an ongoing mindset of preparation and readiness so that they could be ready to give their lives if necessary. I think some of our modern concepts of what it means to be a Christian have hurt us when it comes to understanding the ongoing effort it requires uh, to, to love one another. Uh, I think sometimes within Christianity today, we, fo- we focus so much on the initial decision of salvation, which is very important, obviously. But sometimes we, I believe we focus so much on that that we have neglected to focus on the necessity to continue uh, well, I could say it this way, to, to be a disciple of Christ. Uh, some, to our neglect, I think, within churches today. Uh, we, we've, we focused on the, the initial salvation decision, but we've not focused on what it requires to continue on in the love of, that we have received of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think we've raised a generation of believers who don't understand the cost of discipleship and just as for a soldier, we think of that ultimate uh, sacrifice in giving their lives, but we don't think of the basic training and how it's the initiation. It's just the very beginning. It's the beginning of the lifestyle of being a soldier. And the new birth, being saved, is the initial step of being a disciple of Christ. Many of us are here this afternoon, we're here because we're a child of God, because we believe God's word is valuable, and so we're, we're here. We could all go back and we can remember that time in our lives when we received Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. We received the love of God. It was shed abroad in our hearts. We can remember that day. But as we think about Memorial Day uh, and the soldiers who have given their lives, we're reminded of Christ and him giving his life, and we're to be followers of him. We're to be, we're to be giving our lives. Uh, for him, in obedience to him. The way of discipleship is the way of the cross. I've referred to the cross that is hung on the wall behind me several times. Oftentimes in uh, military graveyards, there will be a cross over the soldier. And the cross is a universal symbol of sacrifice, of selflessness. And where where do they get the idea from that? I don't Someone connected the dots somewhere. I think it's been lost in our day. And there probably will come a day, if it hasn't already happened, where they stop using crosses. I know they don't always use crosses. But 
we, we get that idea from the Lord Jesus Christ and the ultimate sacrifice that he made, he made for us. But uh, discipleship is the way of the cross. Jesus said to us that any who would come after him needed to take up his or her own cross and follow him. Um, we, we, we all desire, I believe, to be followers of our Lord Jesus Christ, but to follow him is going to require sacrifice. It's going to require selflessness. It's going to require denying self. And that's not easy. That's not easy. Those that don't remain in Christ fall away because they don't remain in his love. When the troubles of life come, they think it's because they failed or, be they, or believed God is failing them, but nothing could be further from the truth But for love to remain, it needs to be tested. Excuse me. Cindy loves when I clear my throat. For love to remain, it has to be tested. It has to be tried. Love that is pleasing to God has to be proven. It has to be proven. I can remember when Cindy and I were falling in love. I can remember, and you can remember with your spouse, uh, the initial attraction. And then she looked at, she looked at me and she smiled. Whew. Oh. You know, and there's those emotions, right, that we, we can remember. But 16 years later, love has been proven. Love, has, love is tried. I've tested her love, I'm sure. Right? You know, our Lord loved us. It takes work. Love is work. And and why should we doubt that love takes work? What does God's word say it costs to show his love for us? Christ died for us. God commendeth. He showed. He made obvious his love for us. And that while we were yet sinning, Christ died for us. When we think of sin, the word sin means, means to miss the mark. But sometimes I think that definition, while it is technically correct, I think sometimes it, we almost start interpreting sin as like a willy-nilly missing the mark. You know, we did the best we could. You know, sin for the most part is in direct opposition and rebellion to God. It's not like we were even aiming at the mark. You see what I'm saying? Our best efforts, we missed the mark, but most, we weren't even aiming at the mark. We were aiming for something totally different. And yet, while we were yet sinning, Christ died for us. That is the sacrifice that that cross represents. Look at our text here, John chapter 15. I'm going to read beginning in verse number 9. We're not going to preach through the entire passage. I do realize the effect of hot dogs and hamburgers. John 15 and verse 9 Christ is talking to his disciples, and he says in verse number 9, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. God is interested in your joy and in mine. Verse 12, this is my commandment. Here it is, that ye love one another as I have loved you. 
And then he describes, just in case we're missing what kind of love that might be, how we ought to love one another. Think of this within the context of a local church. He says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, appointed you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. And so today... I want to take just a few minutes and I want to answer the question, what are the demands of love? Because we, we've considered today what we have, in, at least in the morning service, the opportunity we have because of God's love for us. Today and tomorrow, and I hope you take some time tomorrow to talk to your family, to talk to one another about the sacrifices that have been made by men and women for our freedom. Less tomorrow is just another holiday, and enjoy it. Please don't go moping around. But in a very real, a very real way, uh, a memorial, memorial Day, there should, I would recommend taking a, a portion of that day. And there ought to be a sobriety to it. Have you ever gone to a memorial service? What is it for? It's to memorialize or to remember the person who has passed away, their life, how they passed their life, how they lived it, maybe how they passed. You know, and when we think about Memorial Day, it is, it, is not a, it, is, it is not merely a patriotic day, though it is patriotic. It is not, it is not merely another holiday another, or a paid vacation or anything like that. It is, it is not Veterans Day. It's not to honor the veterans. We have a day for that. Memorial Day is to honor and to remember those who died, what it cost them. Some time ago, I, I remember hearing Ronald Reagan make the statement. Um, I don't, this wasn't the original, I didn't hear the original, but years ago I heard a recording, and he made the statement that these young men, in a sense, have given two lives. They gave the life they were living, and they gave the life they were never able to live. And as Pastor Burden mentioned this morning, uh, many of these who give their lives are young. I used to think I was young. It's dawning on me I'm not young anymore. And they're young. They're 18 and 19 and 20 years of age and some older than that, but they're young and they're willing to, they're willing to give. And it's a, it is a sign of love. And more than that, as we think about it here this afternoon, Christ's love for us. What is the demand for you and for me? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, help us, I pray, as we look at your word this afternoon. Father, I pray that this would not merely be a service that we just go through the motions of having and we can walk away saying we were faithful to gather. But Lord, I truly ask that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit and your word. May we learn from your example. Thank you for dying for us in our place that we might live. And Father, it is our heart's desire this afternoon that we would live the life that you have saved us to live, the that the cost you paid, that our lives would be worthy of that cost. 
Father, I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Memorial Day, originally known as Decoration Day, began on the 5th of May, 1868, by General John Logan. He was the national commander of the Grand Army of the Republic, and in his General Order No. 11, which said, quote, The 30th of May, 1868, is designated for the purpose of strewing with flowers or otherwise decorating the graves of comrades who died in defense of their country during the late rebellion, talking about the Civil War, and whose bodies now lie in almost every city, village, and hamlet, churchyard in the land. In this observance, no form of ceremony is prescribed, but post and comrades will in their own way arrange such fitting services and testimonials of respect as circumstances may permit, end quote. It was first observed on the 30th of May, 1868. Flowers were placed in the graves of Union and Confederate soldiers at Arlington National Cemetery. How many of you have been to that cemetery? It's an amazing thing. If you've never been, you need to go. Cindy and I, I think we went there on our second wedding anniversary. We went to Washington, D.C., and we walked out. And you walk out, and there are rows of after row, after row, after row of sacrifice upon sacrifice upon sacrifice. And you just, at some point you just stop and you stand there and you turn around 360 degrees and everywhere you see there are monuments to memorialize the death and the sacrifice of men and women. Those of you who have gone to Arlington, you probably went to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Uh, set up for those whose remains cannot be identified and those who never return home. There was no, there was nothing to bury in some cases, and so they have a tomb set up, and you stand there, and they have a, a, a guard in place, and they change the guard, and it's very solemn. Do we minimize the sacrifice and love shown by our war dead? Do we minimize their sacrifice by saying, well, they were soldiers, after all. They were expected to die. They had to know it would cost them their lives. Is that how we memorialize them and remember them? Certainly not. Soldiers very often lay down their lives in defense of those they love. Jesus died for the sins of the world, not because it was merely his obligation as the Messiah, not merely because... The Father told him to do it, or that the Spirit compelled him. No, our passage tells us that Jesus Christ died for us, for us, because he loved us. He loved us. The unlovable. Now, I love my parents. And there have been many times as their son where I did not honor my parents. And yet my parents have consistently loved me. As a husband and wife, there are times we do not honor honor our spouse. We do not treat them with the dignity or the respect that they are deserving of. And yet we continue to love them. Love is work. And Jesus showed us that work of love when he died for us on the cross. He loved us. He loved us. He calls us his friends. And this is what love demands. Look again at verse number 12. 
He says, this is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Now, it's obvious he's talking to his disciples. Are you a disciple of Christ? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? If you're a child of God, then you ought to be one of his disciples. You ought to be one of his followers. This command is for you and for me. This is the commandment, he says, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater loveth no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. You know, as a church member, as a a fellow believer, uh, as a part of the body of Christ, you and I, and I'm speaking to the core here this afternoon, I suppose, but you and I ought to be willing to lay down our lives for one another. In a very, in a very real way, this, this week I was talking to uh, one of our deacons, and uh, he was talking to me about the pastorate and uh, some of the things that uh, a pastor bears along the way. We were just talking, and I, I told him, I said, this is, it is a privilege to pastor, and the way I look at it is I am, I am giving my life for the calling he's placed upon my life and for the people that make up Trinity Baptist Church. My life. It's interesting, and Pastor Scott and I have talked about this, there comes a point in time, you know, I can look back to when I was 16 when I believed God called me to preach. I I recognized the calling in him leading me to preach his word, but... I didn't know that would entail the pastorate. And then there was a time of traveling and evangelism. There was a time of college before that and preparing and studying and doing schoolwork and those sort of things. And then God leading me from evangelism to becoming the pastor of Trinity Baptist Church. And, and there comes a point where, as I've grown a little bit older, I start, it, it dawned in me at some point there's, there's not any, there's no other options. I'm committed. And, 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 and it wasn't a struggle, but there have been moments where I start to realize that I'm, I'm committed here. There's no turning back. Um, I told you what my children said. You know, one of the girls asked me, what are you going to do when you retire, Daddy? Uh, be a Walmart greeter? <clears throat> you know, what do you do? Um, but the reality is whether I'm a pastor or carry that title or whether whether I don't carry that title, every single one of us as children of God, as followers of Jesus Christ, bear a responsibility to give our lives for one another. Are you seeing that from this passage? And that's what he's saying there in verse 13. Greater love, he's really describing his command. He's defining the parameters of his command in verse 12, that we would love one another as I have loved you, And this wasn't completely clear to them at this point because he hadn't laid down his life for them yet. And then he tells us, gives us the parameters uh, in in verse 13, greater loveth no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. There ought to be at some point in our hearts an understanding of what we're doing, of why we're coming together, of why we're encouraging one another, of why we're putting each other before ourselves because there are other things that we could do. There are other places we could be Why go to this extreme? Why go to this level of love? 
And the answer is because it is what Jesus Christ has commanded of us. Verse 14, it says, Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. We are partners with him. We are committed to the same thing if we're doing what he's told us to do. Henceforth, he says, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. And Jesus really is telling us how to do it. There are five actions that he gives. And I'll be very brief. Love demands, number one, that we follow Christ's example. That's what he's saying in verse 12. Love one another as I have loved you. That's simple, isn't it? Love one another the way Jesus Christ has loved you. Do you think he's asking for too much there? Do you think he's asking a lot there? Is he asking a lot? Yes or no? Yes, he's asking a lot. He's not asking too much, though. He's asking you to lay down your life for your friend, your fellow believers. Follow Jesus Christ's example. Love one another as I have loved you. His audience is his disciples. You and I, if we are child, his children, we ought to be his disciples, and so we can assume that he's speaking to the church. And if the church is struggling, it's not because it's because we're not loving one another well. We can blame we can blame our pastor. We can blame the youth group. We can blame children's ministries. We can blame the organ or the piano or the choir. Or we could, but, but, you know, we can look around for blame. We can blame other individuals. But the problem is not a lack of money. The problem is not the size of the building. It's not, the problem is not how accessible the parking lot is. And we really would like to have another exit somewhere someday. The problem is love, the lack of love. The love of Christ shown through his people draws others. If we can't love better than the world, the love, or the world will not be, they will not, they will not know what love is if they can't see it in us. And so we're to follow Christ's example of sacrificial love, and he tells us who we're to love. Love one another. I will not give examples, but I know, and if you've been married any time at all, you know that to continue in love with one another, it's not all that initial look and, whoa, wow. She smiled. She said, yes. She said, yes, my life is great. You know, it's, it's, it, there, there are falls and tumbles and all those sort of things. And the same is true within a body of believers. And when it happens, we need to love one another all the more. Number one, follow Christ's example. Number two, sacrifice self. Look at verse number 13. Verse 13, he says, Greater loveth no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. I think verse 13 is the cornerstone of the passage In this Memorial Day weekend, we think of men and women who have laid down their lives for our benefit, and to differing degrees, they sacrificed out of the same motivation that our Lord did. I don't say that all sacrificed that way, but many did. 
There's no greater love than this. And in this cynical age, it's fashionable to question everything, even the motivations of those who serve in our country and in the, serve our country in the armed forces. And you know, it's one thing to disagree with a war or, or the motives behind a war. It is, it is not our role to question the heart and the desire and the passion and the love of the soldiers. Question the reason for which we fight, perhaps, but do not question the honorable men and women that are going about their duty as they serve. But this message isn't just about how we look at soldiers and servicemen and women, because every one of us is called to lay down our own lives. Every time we put another's interest before our own, we are laying ourselves and our interests down for our friends, for our brothers, and for our sisters in Christ. And it is honorable to do so, and it is pleasing to God to do so. Selfishness and sacrifice do not go together, but sacrifice and love do. They always go together. Love that is pleasing to God always requires sacrifice. And the reality is selfishness, selfishness, or love, one of the two are going to win out. One will win out over the other and will be our motivation for living. Either it will be sacrifice that loses or it will be love that loses. Sacrifice, when it loses, love loses too. So love demands, number one, that we follow Christ's example. Number two, it requires that we sacrifice self. Number three, it requires that we obey God's command. Look at verse number 14. He says this, Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Obedience. What does obedience have to do with love? Obedience shouldn't be a part of love. It, it's, almost, it's almost humorous that this should be the next point of instruction. It's, it's hard to be selfish and obedient at the same time. It's possible to pull it off for a while, but eventually it will lead to resentment. If you're selfish, you'll begin to resent your authority. If you have to have it your way, you will begin to resent your authority. Sadly, some of us act as though we resent Jesus' call to obedience here. I shouldn't be expected to love them. Or the cost of love shouldn't be so high. We act as though it's a burden. I have a sister and... She and her children are moving. Her, she and her family, her husband and their children are moving to Grand Rapids. And they were members where they have lived now faithfully. They've, they were members of a local church there. And in that local church during the summer months, I think it was, they did not, I think they had Awanas during the year, but they didn't have anything on Wednesday nights for the children. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, they kind of looked around and they talked, what do we do? What are we going to do? I mean... And I don't think they were questioning whether they should go or not, but obviously the children were not. How do you encourage the children to get all excited to go to prayer meeting? Sit with the adults. And uh, Heather was talking, we were talking about it, and she said she and her husband were praying about it, and finally it dawned on them this is a tremendous opportunity for her children to be selfless and to put some other people before themselves. While the children's ministry is wonderful, a program is wonderful, and it's for the children... It's all for the children. And the whole night is planned out for the children, and we're going to start with something exciting. We're going to go to the games, and we're going to have this, a, a, a story 
uh, plan just for the children. They were going to have rewards and incentives and all these sort of things, and it's all for the children. And, uh, and Luke and Heather prayed about it, and they sat down. their three children. I think their oldest is 13 years of age. And they sat them all down and said, hey, um, we are going to go. And I want you to know this is a great opportunity for you to love your fellow believers and members of the body of Christ when we go. Do you realize how big of a wonderful an opportunity and privilege this is? You get to encourage fellow believers as you're there every week, praying with them, singing with them, listening to God's word with them. You will be a wonderful encouragement to your fellow believers. You know what they were teaching their children? To be selfless and to put others before them. I dare say... If they, if they follow through on that and they continue to train their children up in that way, their children will be further ahead than any children that just go through child's program after child's program after child's program where everything is all about them. Their children will be better prepared to be faithful members of a local church than the children who have nothing but children's programs for them every time the doors are open. Are you following me? And by the way, that's why it's so important for those of you who are here this afternoon and who bring your children on Sunday nights, that's what you're doing. That is what you're doing. Do not miss that opportunity. Do not miss that opportunity. It is an opportunity. Help your children connect those dots because we as Americans today are not prone to connecting the dots. It's all about us. It's all about what we need and what we deserve and what we're entitled to. And what Christ is saying to us and by his own example has shown us, it's not all about me. I'm going to be selfless. I'm going to love my brothers. I'm going to love my sisters. I'm going to love my friends more than I love myself. Obedience. He tells us here, you're my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. To us, I think friendship and obedience seem in opposition to one another. If one party or the other requires obedience in a friendship, it isn't a friendship then, right? I mean, if someone has to obey somebody else, but when I think of the rigorous chain of command and the necessity to obey orders in the military, the friendships that have been formed between soldiers are among some of the strongest relationships and friendships there are. Pastor Bird and I were talking this morning, and I asked him, what does Memorial Day mean to you? And, and we, we, we talked, and he mentioned a couple of, uh, one book, I think maybe two books that he's read about uh, soldiers. and uh, Maybe you've read some books about soldiers. I can remember reading a book when I was a young man my dad brought home for me about a pilot in Burma, fly, uh, one of the Flying Tigers, under Gen- General Claire Chenault. And... Uh, Pastor Burden was talking about the bond and the friendship that they, these men have together. And the sacrifice. But obedience, there has to be obedience and there's friendship. They, they go together. These men and women know that obedience and friendship are not in opposition. And the truth is neither, is, neither is our friendship or our obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to obey our Lord's command, which is, after all, for our good. We ought to love God and we ought to love one another. There's a fourth truth in verse 15. We're to follow Christ's example. We're to sacrifice self. We're to obey. Love demands all of those things, but it also demands that we trust God's plan. Look at verse number 15. He says, Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Have you ever been told a plan you didn't agree with it? Let me ask that again. I know the burger is set and heavy. Have you ever known a plan and you didn't agree with the plan? Yeah. Ladies, you ever do that with your husband? What did you say? Absolutely. <laughs> it happens, doesn't it? 
sometimes husbands don't have best plans. Uh, or maybe the wife has a plan. Or maybe mom and dad have a plan. And, you, and are, do you trust your authority's plan? Now, he's talking here, the authority is the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ is talking to his disciples and he's saying, hey, I don't just call you my servants, I call you my friends. And, 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 and the plan, that which God the Father has told me, I've told you, you know the plan. And we know the plan. Are we willing to trust God's plan? Jesus calls us his friends because he has made the will of the Father known to us. Jesus' kingdom, his business of growing the kingdom is now our business. The mission of our Lord Jesus Christ is our mission. The objection or the objective of our Lord and Savior is now our objective to carry out. And this is tremendous trust. Trust is a sign of love. Where there's a lack of trust, there's a lack of love. And trust can be undermined, don't get me wrong, but where there's a lack of trust, there's a lack of love. Love, real love, demands that we trust. And at some point, we need to make that choice. We need to be open and vulnerable and willing, and we need to choose to follow Christ's lead. We need to choose to sacrifice as he has sacrificed. We need to choose to obey his words, and we need to choose to trust him. One final thought in verse 16, and we'll be done. We need to choose to love. Love demands following Christ's example, sacrificing self, obeying God's command, trusting God's plan, but it also love demands that we choose, that we choose to love. Look how he puts it in verse 16. He says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and we're so thankful that he has, and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. And then he says, These things I command you, that ye love one another. You know, a command can be broken. A command can be disobeyed. Each one of us here this afternoon on a Memorial Day weekend, we can understand, we can remember the sacrifices of men and women who have given their lives for our liberties as Americans. We can remember the sacrifice of our Lord, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and how he died and took the sins, our sins, all of our sins, past, present, and future, and put them upon his body and died in our place. We can be reminded of his sacrifice. We can hear of God's command to us, love, love as I have loved you, love one another, uh, give up your life for your brethren, set your lives aside for the body of believers for Christ's body, we can hear all of that, and yet we all have the opportunity to make a decision. We can either choose to obey his command or we can choose to disobey his command. I can walk out of here this afternoon and I can choose not to love you the way Christ has commanded me to. I can walk out of here this afternoon and I can choose to not love my family the way Christ has commanded me to. We can be selfish and self-serving and the opposite of Christ. Or we can choose to obey a command. And I submit to you that love demands, and Christ lays it out here, it demands that you and I choose to love. He has chosen us. He has given us a command that we have a choice, and we have a choice to make. 
God chose us in Christ while we were still in our sins, Romans 5 tells us. We were his enemies because of our sin, yet he laid down his life. And how can our response to that kind of love be anything less than our all, than our everything? How can we hold on to petty grievances? How can we hold on to arguments about things that really don't matter in the course of eternity? I believe with all of my heart that God's love compels us to choose love. And so he says, these things I command you, that ye love one another. And this is the choice that we have, each and every one of us today. Will we choose love? I want to, I want to close with an illustration. It's a short story. It's called Come Home. And it shows the power of love and grace and, and, the, and what it can accomplish. Maria had a beautiful daughter named Christina who wanted to leave their poor little village to enjoy the bright lights of Rio de Janeiro. Knowing her mother would never give her permission to leave, Christina packed a few things and left home one morning before dawn, leaving just a note behind. Maria, the mother, was heartbroken. Maria quickly packed some things to go in search of her daughter. She stopped at a drugstore on the way to the bus station and spent most of her money having pictures of herself made in the photography booth. Maria knew Christina had no way of earning money, and she also knew that her daughter was too stubborn to ever give up. So Maria searched in the worst parts of Rio de Janeiro, her heart breaking, knowing that her daughter would have to do the unthinkable things just to to be able to survive. At each place, Maria stopped, street corners, lobbies of seedy hotels, on, on the bathroom mirrors of those places, she would write a note on the back of a picture of herself, a photo, and she would tape it up for everybody to see. It didn't take long for the money and the pictures to run out, so eventually Maria had to return to her village without her daughter. Heartsick that her daughter was lost in that urban jungle of Rio. A month later, Christina descended the hotel stairs of one of those seedy hotels. Her young face tired, her bright eyes faded and dull, her countenance fallen. A broken person now, full of fear and pain. A thousand times she had longed to trade countless beds that weren't her own for her secure pallet back home in her little village. How her little village seemed so very far away in so many ways, lost to her forever. As Christina reached the bottom of the stairs, she noticed something familiar. There on the lobby bulletin board was a photo of her mother. Christina's eyes burned and her throat tightened. She removed the picture and written on the back of the photo was this message from her mother. Christina, whatever you've done, wherever you've been, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And she did. Have you come home? Whatever you've done, wherever you've been, it doesn't matter. Jesus is calling, come home. And if you've come home, will you join in the work of seeking and saving the lost? Will you choose to lay down your life for one another and love one another as Christ has loved you? As he has forgiven you? as he has empowered you and strengthened you and helped you along the way and comforted you, will you lay down your life and set your ambitions aside to love one another as Christ has loved you?